see you there. Something big is going on here. From hunting ghosts to Bigfoot, paranormal, UFOs, true crime, and more. We won't just be spouting articles. I was researching for your entertainment. The beginning of a new world. <laughs> the best guac you'll ever fucking eat. True story. It's basically like one day you walk outside and you see that the ants are playing with matches. This, this is the Black Hat Report. See you on the other side. This week, we're diving right into this multi-part saga, so please go back and listen to episode 41, part one, if you haven't caught it yet, because there's about to be names, dates, and drama as we sink our ufological teeth into the Brooklyn Bridge UFO Abductions Part 2. Now, with all that said, welcome everybody to episode 42 of the Black Cat Report. My name is Gil, and we got Selena riding shotgun. Hello. Joey on the roof with an Uzi. Are we there yet? And International Bets Bay is, for all re- legal purposes, she she's away right now. She's not breaking her parole. Anyways, when we last left off in part one, Linda had just relived her abductions via a very intense hypnotic regression with Bud Hopkins just three days after her experience on November 30th, 1989. Now, if you recall, at the beginning of the last episode, I started off by reading a letter written by two supposed police officers, Dan and Richard, who had witnessed Linda's abduction. It essentially corroborated everything that led up to her being taken into the glowing craft. What's wild about this is Bud received this letter on February 1st, 1991, 15 months after the regression therapy. Further, based on the tone and phrasing of the letter, Bud became convinced there was a very real possibility that Dan and Richard might try to reach out to Linda. So why would that be a problem? Well, as is often said to be the case, people who've experienced an alien abduction tend to compartmentalize the whole event in order to, well, basically go on with their day-to-day lives. I mean, where the hell do you put it in your brain when, you know, feeding your kids, paying your bills, and going to work are still responsibilities you have to navigate. It's a very real problem. Mm-hmm. In short, for the past 15 months, Linda has basically just been going on with her life, trying to put the whole abduction experience behind her, or at least, you know, keep it boxed up and pushed to the side of her thoughts. And now, two officers are about to show up and not only restir her memories, but confirm. It was all real. Well, feeling responsible for giving Linda a heads up, Bud reached out to her immediately and read her the letter. She was nearly thrown into a state of shock, but they worked through it and further came up with a game plan about what to do, what to say, and what to avoid if or when Dan and Richard showed up. Now, Here's the basic plan they had. She was going to keep quiet about everything she knew and everything that she remembered and remain insistent that if they wanted to talk about that night, they needed to first reach out to Bud and give him their testimony. This would help relieve all of the pressure that she was bound to experience in this situation while also making sure that the information Bud was collecting was pure and untainted by all the witnesses basically yes-anding themselves into a single story, right? This was a very critical moment in this investigation. Bud had already worked with her over a year ago, had already heard everything. You know, there had been recordings of the therapy session. 
And now, again, 15 months later, people are saying, hey, remember that case where that lady sat down in like your office and, you know, remembered everything and like went through this crazy abduction story? Well, we're two police officers who literally saw all of that. Up until this point, there were there was no outside witnesses for Bud to go off of. So this is groundbreaking. Bud, in this book, and he constantly goes over it, he has um, abduction support groups, right? So he spends part of the year like living in Cape Cod, where he's like, mm-hmm. and actually, even in New York, he's an incredibly famous artist. You can look up Bud Hopkins' like art. He's incredibly famous as an artist. So he has this whole career, this whole their life. And in the meantime, studying abductions and the abduction phenomenon is like kind of it's a it's a productive hobby in a sense. It's not his life, you know, his living, his career or whatever. But and hobbies a little bit, you know, downgrading what it is. He he's a significantly contributes to it. But anyways, he's running all these support groups everywhere. Linda's story doesn't actually stand out. Right. It stands mm-hmm. out in the sense that it's like, wow, this is really wild. And she lives close by. But other than that, he's getting cases like this all the time. And all of a sudden, this letter shows up. Her case was also interesting, which we went over in the first episode because of the implant that was in her nose and the surgical scar that was there that she had no way of accounting for. Yeah. So that did add credibility before this letter. Totally. Like totally. her story was already kind of incredible to him mm-hmm. yeah for that reason alone and this just added further credibility to it yeah and this is like yeah and i'm glad you i'm glad you pointed out but that's like yeah this is essentially like a silver bullet's silver bullet all right they took out jfk and his son same time one shot but like <laughs> it's a magic bullet anyways it'll make more sense when you see our instagram photos next week but all that said, well, not long after Bud broke the news to Linda and they came up with a plan, did she hear a knock at the door? It was two plainclothes officers asking to be let in. Linda demanded to see their badges, and after flashing her their credentials, they introduced themselves as Richard and Dan. Once they got in her house, it got really awkward, really, really fast. While Richard was trying over and over again to apologize to Linda for not helping out the night she was abducted, telling her how helpless they both felt, how that night had been eating away at them ever since, Dan just straight up like walked by her, more so just like ran by her, and went straight to her living room window and started trying to figure out how she possibly got through the child's safety bars before hovering above the street outside of her 12th floor apartment. Like, Dan was just like, the shit had been eating at him so hard. While they were both screwed up from this, I mean, who wouldn't be, like, a little bit, like, well, who wouldn't be incredibly screwed up by seeing something like this happen, especially in, like, a city like New York or whatever. Like, Dan just, like, is, like, just blockers or blinders on, rushes right by her and is looking at her window, like, how did she do this? How did blah, 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 blah. Like, he's trying to figure out any way to rationalize the shit that he saw a little over a yeah. year ago. <clears throat> and um, not only that, but, like, he's extremely suspicious of her. He thinks that oh, yeah. she herself was working with the aliens because she didn't seem to be putting up a fight. Mm, yeah. And he also had just this, like, they all had 
a strange feeling um, that she could be in cahoots and they were trying to like prove that she couldn't be. This, yeah, this becomes like a common theme in like their, their continued contact is like Richard is, <laughs> so if we have to place it this way in terms of good cop, bad cop, forward here just a heads up here they're both still cops um but but in good cop bad cop richard would be the good cop dan would be the bad cop he is a complete asshole to her right like he's having a mental like picture this he's having a mental breakdown realizing it's her realizing that it's real like being in the apartment where he saw her get pulled out of and like the creatures and all this other crap and like seeing her, seeing this this woman, which I think he refers to as like the angel on the top of the Christmas tree at one point in the mm-hmm. book. Like they, they have all these weird nicknames that they start giving her and calling her cutie and sweetie pie and perfect girl and just like all this weird shit that's popping up in there, which is like outside of the like cultural level of misogyny and at in the early 90s it's like past that it's like at it's way past the level of the socially acceptable amount of misogyny at the time in communication right like it's it gets weird at a certain point later in the book um richard literally takes her hand his like takes her face in his hands and is like i wish you were mine yeah like this this shit's building so yeah, well, these guys are are not must not be proper New Yorkians because New Yorkers, excuse me, because <laughs> New Yorkians. Uh, we're terming the new phrase for New York people. New York people are now New Yorkians, but check our merch. They're store. basically Yorkies, yeah. and they basically they're they're going against all the New York rules because first off, something's happening up in the sky, and they're actually looking at it instead of just pretending like it's not happening and then forgetting mm-hmm. about it later unless there's a police warrant out for the arrest of that person. So they're yeah. going against all the New York rules when just pretending it's not there. Like if your next door neighbor is committing murder, you just go forget about it. Well, anyways, so yeah. So, so Dan, um, Dan is at the, I don't even know if it's the start, but it's the first kind of real solid touch point in the book. And with our knowledge of him, right. And communication with him where it's like, if this is kind of the beginning of his full scale, like just mental and emotional breakdown. Like Dan's spiraling right now, hardcore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So Dan rushed over to her living room window and started trying to figure out how she possibly got through the child safety bars before hovering above the street outside of her 12th floor apartment. He then proceeded to have a complete mental and emotional breakdown in front of Linda, saying over and over again, Oh my God, it's her. It's her as he covered his tears that were now streaming down his face. Like this is hitting him so hard right now. Um, This whole time, right? Linda did her best to stick with the plan her and Bud had agreed on maintaining her composure while essentially not giving like Dan or Richard an ounce of actual information about the events. And she just kept repeatedly telling them over and over again, um, basically like, hey, if you want to help, you need to contact Bud. You need to reach out to Bud. You know, here's his phone number. Here's his address. Here's his this. Here's his that. He wants your testimony. Yeah. And like, 
they wouldn't really take that as an answer. They were making up reasons why they couldn't talk to Bud or why they, they didn't really feel comfortable doing that. And she just kept repeating that. And also, like, they just didn't stop asking her questions about that night. Like, they just, they were interrogating her. And she had to keep saying things to deflect it, like, it frightens me too much to talk about it. Um, I, I just, I it scares me, like, you know, and stuff like that, just to, like, get them to leave her alone. But, yeah. yeah. This, was, this was, like, a very awkward situation. Her kids are gone at school. Her husband's gone. She's home alone. And there's two men in her house. And they're also, like, re-stirring... <clears throat> All of this shit, right? And at least like, one of them is mentally unstable. Yeah, like, clearly this dude's going through some shit. Like, he's pretty much just ignoring her and only talking at her or making comments at her. Where's um, Steve? And when he... Yeah, right? And when he is making comments, some of the times he's, like, literally saying shit like, you're one of them. I know you're one of mm-hmm. them. You have to be one of them. That's the only way it could happen. How do you look human and look like what, or not look like one of them? Like, he's making really fucking weird comments. Again, two big dudes. She's a very small woman, just in her house, middle of the day. Nobody's around. Mm. This is scary as fuck. Like, this is horrifying. Yeah, and it's, like, super traumatizing because, like, she's obviously a victim of being abducted, like, constantly, multiple times over the course of her life. And she feels like she's been, you know, like completely taken advantage of by these like creatures and then someone who witnessed it is now blaming her for what she's been going through and telling her that she's one of the people that have been harming her for the longest time Mm -hmm. and like imagine being told like after you experience something traumatic that like you know like you asked for it. You basically asked for it and like Yeah. You know, not only did you ask for it, but like you're lying about how traumatic it was for you because you're actually working with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're in cahoots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is So this she is was really fucked. upset. <laughs> this is yeah. a fuck situation. I can and just see so- Bud right behind the door, right but in looking through like a <laughs> hole in the wall with a gun being like, Just give me a reason. Just give me a reason. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it. Dude, Bud was a badass. I could, mm-hmm. I could low key like, I mean, he seemed more like a hot chocolate kind of badass than a handgun badass. You know what I'm saying? Like, Bud seems like the person where it's just like you really could come at him with some like very, very intense shit, and he would know how to handle it professionally and well, and make sure everybody was taken care of and everything is well documented and respected and all this other stuff. He didn't seem like he would like go in there like John Wick style, but I like to imagine in his youth he did. And yeah, I mean, did. yeah, yeah. If somebody killed his dog, man, oh, oh. Bud well, with one D. If somebody abducted his dog, that's his undercover name is Bud with one D. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never know. Never. Um, well, on March 9th, barely a month later after this visit, right? Bud received a cassette tape in the mail with Richard reading his full witness report. While much of the recording was nearly identical to the original letter, there are some key differences. Namely, Richard goes on and on explaining how he and Dan have both been obsessed with the events of that night. Further, he tells Bud that basically Dan is starting to go off the rails, something Bud was already made aware of 
when Linda called him up immediately after they left and told him everything, right? Well, <clears throat> this is a reality mm-hmm. that will be further highlighted a month later when Bud receives Dan's report in the form of a letter. Quote, Dear Mr. Hopkins, my name is Danny. You are acquainted with my partner, Richard. He wrote to you about what happened to us in late November of 1989, early in the morning. I decided to get in touch with you after taking a long fishing trip to Nova Scotia. I had plenty of time to think things out and relax at the same time. Relaxing didn't come easy either. Do you have any idea of how I'm feeling? This whole situation flies in the face of everything I have ever learned and believed in over an entire period of my lifetime. I, I'm not confused because I know what I saw. I'm not depressed anymore because Linda is alive. Seeing Linda for the first time in her apartment one evening about a month ago, it pushed all my depression and guilt away. However, anger, fear, and embarrassment set in. Richard is dealing with these very same feelings in his own way. He he remedies it by secretly watching Linda. I don't think she would like to know that. Whenever he starts questioning the reality of the whole incident, seeing Linda reinforces the reality of it all, and then he doesn't feel crazy anymore. I tried this remedy once. It, it doesn't work for me. When I see Linda, I tremble because she's real and the whole damn situation is real. And I don't want it to be fact. I I don't need reminders. I'll never forget what happened for the rest of my life. That November incident was the worst time of my life. It wasn't interesting or exciting. It terrified me. It was completely out of my control. I don't like not being in control. It's damn dangerous in my line of work. When I thought I was seeing the sunrise above that apartment building, I realized that it wasn't late enough in the morning for that to happen. My my second thought was that it wasn't rising in the right direction either. For God's sake, it was a UFO. A damn stupid UFO. Why did it have to be something as, as dumb as that? As luck has it, it happened to, well, Richie and me. Seeing a UFO wasn't enough. As luck had it, we had to see some young woman being taken. It was the manner in which they took her that drove us nuts. Strange thoughts entered my mind, but they weren't stranger than what we had just seen. What if those bums decided to perform an autopsy on that poor young woman or child? What what were they going to do to her aboard that craft? What could what could I do to help? These these thoughts were more than I could take. I still keep asking myself, who is she? Is she, you know, one of them? She doesn't look like them. Richie has to remind me that he, myself, and Linda are victims. Did did Richard tell you about our nightmares? One of mine is that I'm able to reach Linda in the process of an abduction. In the dream, I'm able to arrest them, but one of those SOBs shoots me with a ray gun and it's all over for me. If you think that's a nightmare, here's one of Richie's. Richie is shielding Linda and reading those bums their rights. They get annoyed with him and levitate him high above a building. Then they drop him. Mr. Hopkins, I sleep with a sledgehammer by my side instead of a woman. My pistol is beside my bed. Logically, 
If they can take Linda, they can find me and take me. I wonder if they know that we saw them. We saw what they did. Richie has the same fear. He bought a blow-up dummy of a man and puts him in his bed every night and sleeps in the spare room. Is this normal for two grown men? I wouldn't think so. If the department knew this, we would both be out on our asses. I'll never forget the combination of low humming, whistling sound we heard while sitting in the car and watching this thing. But as soon as the blue-white light beamed on, there wasn't a sound. The lights weren't like anything I've ever seen in some of the greatest light shows. This thing really put on a show. When it flew over us, I could feel the hair on my head, arms, legs, etc. stand straight up, and it wasn't from fear. The static cling was incredible. The electricity was tremendous. I wasn't amused at all. As it splashed into the river behind us, way back behind the Brooklyn Bridge with Linda in it, I never felt so angry and helpless as I did did at that time. We waited around for a while, but the object didn't come up. Don't know where in the river it went after it landed in there. It could have gone anywhere under there. I let myself go, Mr. Hopkins. I shower, but I just don't care about my appearance. I haven't shaven in a long time. My, My nights are sleepless. I've just about had it with this stuff. My fellow workers are whispering behind my back. I can feel it. They must have noticed the change in me. But she says the the lost motivation will come back again and I'll start being my own self again. Richie keeps busy. Too busy for that matter. For all of these months, we have been completely out of our minds with worry about this young lady. Although I'm (laughs) sounding like a basket case, I must say I'm feeling a lot better than I have been feeling in the past. Linda is alive, and that has helped a tremendous amount. Can you imagine what would happen if we ever told anyone what I'm writing you about? They would laugh us right out of town. It was a risk finding Linda. She can identify us, but we had to find her. It was worth the risk. Dealing with this incident is problem enough without having to worry about our careers and what others are thinking about us. I just wanted you to know that I'm going to keep trying to live with this. Tell your people to try hard, too. I'm sure that this is what you're trying to help them with. It's it's good that they have each other. Richie and I know that we are welcome in your circle. However, this is impossible for us, even though Linda has mentioned other police officers involved. Richie was glad that I was going to write you. He asked me to tell you that he received your note when Linda and her husband went to church that one Sunday morning. He said that it was good that Linda still keeps her faith, as we do too. We understand that you need us to come forward because these people of yours are considered crazy. We know that they aren't crazy, but to be honest with you, you're going to need more than two detectives to figure out what the hell has been happening to a lot of people. And I do believe that a lot of people are affected. Good luck in your investigations. If you ever stumble upon a good, tangible evidence, be careful whom you give it to. There's an obvious cover-up going on. I think I'll go and give myself a shave. I'm feeling better tonight. Thanks for taking the time to read this very long letter. Sincerely, Danny. Yeah, it's insane. Like, they're both losing their shit in different ways. Like, mm-hmm. Richard, the one that is the good cop, is, like, becoming obsessed with surveilling Linda and, like, cementing it into his brain that she is alive. And not only that, but, like, trying to insert himself into her life yeah, by not only following her, but, like, 
going to the church that he now knows she goes to because of the surveillance. Yeah. yeah. And like stopping her when she's with her husband at church. And the fact that she had been having so much trouble like running into them and like just feeling like uncomfortable that Bud was like, you are literally, it is inevitable that you are going to run into them again. So keep this with you at all times so that you can just give this to them the next time you run into them, which will definitely happen. Yeah. And like, yeah. like it's not, crazy. Not, not just, not just that, but like to mention the fact that like Richie's sleeping with a fucking like blow up doll, blow up doll in his bed. And he's sleeping in his spare bedroom because he's so freaked out about like an abduction happening to him. And like, yeah. that's the yeah. only means of control or hope that he has in that situation is something like that. While like yeah. at the same time, Danny is sleeping with a fucking sledgehammer in his bed. <laughs> like that's how much it fucked with them. Yeah. And it's crazy how much it did fuck with them because Danny's sitting there with a mop head, you know, those old style mop heads on the top of his uh, sledgehammer, just being like, it's okay. Sledgy me and you, we're going to go. And he honestly, like, his coworkers didn't notice anything until he brought it to the work dinner. And he was like, have you seen my girl sledgy and him just sitting there introducing the, the sledgehammer to his coworkers as his new girlfriend. Everyone deals with it in different ways. I mean, they all liked Reiki before that, but now sledgy just showed up and he's just not even going to acknowledge that. Like what happened to Reiki? Mm -hmm. A few months later, she um, gave birth to a bunch of little hammers. Yeah. Oh, cute little hammers, little mini red hammers. hair, just like Dan. Oh, just like Dan. <laughs> just like Dan. Mm. But yeah, so yeah. I, I did. I I really did want to read like Dan's letter though, because there's a lot of subtleties in there and some things that aren't so subtle. Where it's just like he's going off the rails, and he's mm -hmm. still partially aware of it. But also, his letter's a lot more honest than the tape recording that um, Richard sent. Richard. Mm -hmm. Richard's tape recording that he sent Bud is just kind of like, yeah, this is this. And it, it's a lot of the same, the same testimony that again, the last episode, that was what I introed with was like the main meat and potatoes of like, of his, of his letter of their testimony. Right. Um, mm -hmm. He doesn't get into the actual effects of things so much. Dan just kind of spills it. He's like, we're having mm -hmm. nightmares. These nightmares are crazy. This is eating us alive. Like, I'm struggling to, like, take care of myself. I'm needing to go on, like, fishing trips and get the hell out of here. I'm sleeping with a sledgehammer. You know, Richard's sleeping with an inflatable doll. Da-da-da-da-da. Like, we're stalking her. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. just straight up, like, we're stalking her now. Right? And, yeah. like... I don't know if it's um, in that letter or if it's in some other communication that they have. But it's literally, like, he will make one statement... And the next statement will be completely contradictory on how he feels about Linda and seeing her. So he'll be like, she can go to the moon for all I fucking care and she wouldn't be far enough away. And then he's like, yeah. I want to keep her close because I feel like having her close will make the nightmares go away. Yeah. And that's literally like one after another. Yeah. And I feel like, like that's. Um, yeah. What's his name? Um, Dan Richard. No. Ramirez. Bud. Bud. Um, Bud finds that like immediately like very alarming because it just shows that like he's unstable. Yeah. All that said, 
the plot is about to thicken. About a week after receiving that letter from Dan, a third one arrives at Bud's house. This time, more will be revealed. Here we go. Quote, Dear Mr. Hopkins, we're writing to you once again because of the utmost importance of what has been said. When you have completed this letter, we hope you'll try and understand the seriousness and the extent of our situation. The extenuating circumstances involved led us to reveal to you only partial justifications for our feelings and behavior. There was much, much more involved. We were given permission to reveal more facts from a third party also involved in the November 1989 incident. This third party is a very important person and often speaks to many corners of the globe. Early on, before we contacted you, we advised the third party that we were going to do so and wanted to know what his thoughts were on that. He thought that if we felt this was a good measure to take for our own sanity, then it was fine with him so long as we didn't mention his name and the extenuating circumstances involved. So, here was the other portion of our experience. And then, author's note here. Dan proceeds to describe certain political affairs that I have deleted along with certain other passages in order to protect the anonymity of the third party. But continue mm. on. That day, in November of 1989, after a very late meeting, which lasted through the night, we followed our instructions. Our orders were to bring this third party safely to the meeting and then safely to the heliport way downtown afterwards. From there, the three of us were to board a helicopter out of Manhattan Island. We drove downtown on FDR Drive and exited on South Street. We continued to drive south, down on South Street for a few blocks, when all of a sudden, our car started to die for no apparent reason. I pumped the gas pedal all the way across the street before the car would completely die, with Richard pushing the car from behind. We needed to park under the underpass of the FDR Drive because it was out of the way. We were on South Street and Catherine, facing the street so we could observe the area ahead of us. It seemed that at that point, a simple instruction had become somewhat complicated. Richard had to ask the third party sitting in the back seat of the car to lay down so as to not be seen, at least not until we could get the car started again. The third party certainly had a good sense of humor about it. I tried the first time to get the car started, but it wouldn't start. It was dead. Our radio call system didn't work either. The car telephone was dead, too. Asking a passing car for help was completely out of the question, considering who we had sitting in the back seat of the car. So we waited a while with the hopes that the car would start on its own, maybe on the second try. If it didn't, then one of us was going to have to leave the other alone with this very important person to get to a pay telephone in a very unfamiliar area. We were going to wait about 10 or 15 minutes before trying to start the car a second time, and in the process of waiting and observing the surrounding area ahead, we joked about demoting ourselves to undercover POs. Can you imagine how the third party felt playing peekaboo in the back seat? We all laughed some more. About three to five minutes into our waiting time, all hell broke loose. The rest is history. The third party saw everything we saw. He saw the UFO, the creatures and Linda surrounded by the bright beam of light. Seeing Linda suspended in midair without support from below was more than he could face. But when she was taken away, this very bad situation had become holy terror for us all. 
After the incident occurred and the object with Linda in it was nowhere to be found, the third party became hysterical. You can't imagine the condition we were all in after such a bizarre experience. However, afterwards, he did say to us, Fellows, forget I was here. Is that understood? Mr. Hopkins, we understood. But others must have seen what had happened. Someone out there must have seen it all, too. We have been in contact with the third party ever since the November 1989 incident. Consequently, position and power have nothing to do with the human side of people. His guilt, like ours, has plagued him like a disease throughout these months. He has suffered no less than us. Recently, when we contacted him with the good news of finding Linda, he was very happy that she's alive. He wanted to know everything about her. We did check her out so we could have something to tell him, and in the process, we found out that Linda and her family are in good standing. He was pleased with all that information given to him in our report, so much so that he had a bit of a change of heart and gave us permission to reveal the extenuating circumstances. When I returned from my long fishing trip, I learned that he, too, had seen Linda twice without Linda seeing him. Of course. He's seen her from afar, kissing her little boy goodbye before putting him up on the school bus in the morning. Mr. Hopkins, we hope that you can understand why we won't be coming forward. This whole situation goes too high in the ranks to do so. However, whatever information we have given to you also gives you a free hand to do as you wish, so long as... We are not identified. As he, the third party, said, considering the toll this whole incident has taken on the three of us and Linda, and possibly on thousands of other people in the past and in the present, this incident may be the perfect opportunity to develop a cushion, so as maybe to soften the hard blow society will feel in the future when certain information comes out. We realize that there isn't much fact for you to go on because you can only say what you what we have told you. And as far as our situation is concerned, there is no other information we can give you other than feelings on this matter, the third party included, and all of our mental progress. We will be telling Linda what we have told you, no more and no less, as soon as we can break away from our work. We haven't seen her lately. Has she been in good health? We believe that she should know what the extenuating circumstances were at the time of her horrible ordeal. It seems to us that together, you, Linda, and your families have hope enough for the whole world. Perhaps someday soon, the whole world will be full again, and we'll understand the unnatural goings-on of today. Mr. Hopkins, remember it all and write it down. Sincerely, Richard, Dan, and him. This seems like they're having like a psychotic breakdown because they're yeah like a like a multiple personality disorder too thing because they're kind of like oh no everything we told you before is almost fake and then they're like here's the real <laughs> story here's another story let's bring in somebody else that kind of exemplifies more of our feelings about it and that's kind of how I'm like reading into it thinking about it because they're like no third party person is super important they're super amazing. They also have been looking into her, but for good reason. There's always good reasons for what we're doing. And so it feels like they're just going a little bit even more crazy, which yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. And like at a certain point, um, Dan also kind of like says, 
this is a, a an issue of security. Like we need to find out if she's an alien or not because um security. <laughs> or this you very know, pretty and person. Like, and it's like, what do you mean? Like even Bud was like in his like he writes like does he mean like his own security, national yeah. security? Like what the fuck is he talking about? I can also say like having read a lot of their letters, whether it's like, you know, Linda's or like Dan or Richard's letters, like just trying to read that last letter is like deteriorating and like in context and like how you read it. Like it's like, it's the phrasing and the wording and how much, like how heavily edited it is. But like, it's just jumbled the fuck up, but it does reveal some like very important things. Um, so, so Joey, that's not a bad like idea or point that you just made about like that. They might be like creating this third party, but I guess as a slight spoiler, there literally is a third party. Like there, there it's will legit. be, <laughs> yeah, it, it actually is legit. Like what happens here? Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so I'm about to break the fourth wall and slap everyone in the face. I know there has been a lot of letter reading and a lot of buildup so far, a lot of names, dates, yada, yada, yada. Here's one of the reasons why. On Monday, April 29th, 1991, just a few weeks after that last letter Bud had received, the one we just covered, he'd get a frantic phone call from Linda. Apparently... That morning, right after she waited with her youngest son to board the school bus and saw him off to school before leaving to go do some grocery shopping, well, as she was making her way downtown, walking fast, something, something. fast. <laughs> yeah. homebound. And she was homebound. Well, she was storebound. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah. Apparently that morning, right after she waited with her youngest son to board the school bus um, and she watched him leave, she went to go do some grocery shopping. Well, as she passed through the city blocks, making her way to the store, she heard her name yelled out from just down the street. When she turned around, she saw Richard with a huge smile on his face as he walked up to her. They chit-chatted for a little bit. It was very awkward for Linda. And, well... She basically was just like, well, I got to get going. I got to get going. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, why don't we chill and talk? Why don't we blah, 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 blah. And she's like, no, I've, I've got to get going. And he's like, well, how about I give you a ride? You know, like, I can give you a ride to the store. She declined. He insisted. And then a black car pulled up beside them. Richard opened the door and then proceeded to literally wrestle and force Linda into the car. And when I say wrestle her into the car, I mean, there was like three full pages in this book dedicated to just the struggle she put up and how awkward it was as Richard tried to shove her in the car on a busy street in New York and not make a scene about it. Yeah. See, these are the um... real New Yorkers here. Just like, (laughs) nope, nope, we're not. No, nothing's happening. Literally, though, (laughs) she (laughs) said that there were people watching. She was screaming, kicking, like holding, like bending backwards, holding herself from the door, like pushing off, like thrashing, literally like fighting like she was about to lose her fucking life. And because she didn't know what the fuck was going to happen. They were really unstable and like 
Dan especially was like giving her vibes like he wanted to hurt her because he couldn't make sense of things and stuff and he just had like this angry aggressive like you know like demeanor towards her like very like cold and like suspicious and mm-hmm. that's who the was fucking... behind the wheel of the car yeah mm. the the very fucking awkward comment too i would say that just before she finally like conceded right just before she finally like gave up and she like lost strength because this was a long ordeal right dan literally yells out from the front like a uh, driver's seat to richard and says like tickle her under her arm <laughs> and like tells her her. tells richard to like tickle her to get her to like let go of the outside of the door to like shove her into this fucking car this is like a long awkward scene and he's just like there on the front with like his hands on the steering wheel like you know just white knuckled and he's like pissed and he's like telling richard i can't go if if this shit doesn't stop just tickle her push her inside well, after fighting as long as she could, she finally conceded and found herself in the back seat of a black Mercedes, doors locked, Dan behind the wheel, and Richard sitting next to her. She had just been kidnapped. And that's where we'll pick back up next week with the story with the Brooklyn Bridge UFO Abductions Part 3. Ooh. Dang! Dude, so yeah, she was like goes. a cat trying to take her to the vet. Take your cat to the See, vet. She was like, hold on for dear life. <laughs> and they were finally like, oh, here's a treat. And then as she's sitting in the back of the back in the Mercedes, she's like, hmm, it's pretty spacious back here, actually. Yeah, it was it was exactly like if you've ever had to give your cat like an emergency bath because like they got coated in something or some crap happened or whatever, and you're trying to give your cat a bath and you're just getting torn apart and they're like pulling on you in every possible direction that was literally linda trying to get the fuck away from this thank you for listening to the black cat report and our episode on the brooklyn bridge ufo incident part two poor linda i wonder how she's gonna get out of this one please like review and follow us wherever you get your podcasts also follow our instagram for the most up-to-date news on everything black cat report and remember Follow us for next week, and we'll see you on the other side.